You are listening to audio from Citizens Church Almira. You can find more resources and learn more about our church at citizensalmira.ca. Hello, everyone. It is great to see you all here today, and I see familiar faces for those of you that I know and are part. We're part of the beginning of, of Citizens. Um, just thank you, and it's always exciting to hear what God is doing at Citizens Church. And for those faces that are new to me, it's good to, to see you here as well today. And I've been asked if you uh, have children um, to dismiss the children at this time so they can go to Sunday school. That would be great. And as they're being dismissed, uh, if you have a Bible or device and you're not already there, I'd invite you to turn to Psalm 24 and we will be there in just a few moments. And uh, Darcy said to me, if it's under 30 degrees, you get to speak twice as long. So looking forward to a good morning. Last month, I was traveling uh, with some of our staff at Woodside to, uh, uh, to a place. And as we were driving, I was kind of in the front of the car. And there were three young staff, actually the three youngest staff, and, um, and they were playing music and we were listening to some music. And, uh, but then one of them said partway through, hey, why don't we listen to some old music? It was older, classic Christian music. Now, when, when the person said that, I didn't think that we were gonna turn on and listen to George Beverly Shea saying, just as I am, go back 70 years. But I at least thought when they said old music, they'd go back about 50 years to Keith Green. Uh, you know, my era, but no, let's listen to the newsboys, late nineties, early two thousands. And I'm like, that's, that's old. Today, as we continue in your series through uh, the book of Psalms, 150 Psalms, and I hear in the next number of years, that's the goal. And that is awesome. But this actually is the classic playlist of the people of God. This is the oldest playlist of the people of God. All of these songs, 150 songs or prayers to uh, this God. And I want to encourage you as you journey through life to uh, read these psalms and, in a sense, sing them to God. So when you maybe you are going through life and, and things are not going your way and you're wondering, what's the direction of my life? You turn to Psalm 23 and you sing, the Lord is my shepherd. When you're going through a very difficult time and uh, something maybe suddenly has come upon you, you turn to Psalm 121 and you say, where does my help come from? I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. When you're journeying through life and maybe you see some people that are not good, they're wicked or they're evil, and you maybe begin to envy them or you think, you know, why are they getting away with what they're doing? You turn to Psalm 73 and you go into the sanctuary of the Lord and you realize their end and that you have made the sovereign Lord your refuge. And then when you maybe feel like, do I really have any value or worth? I'm not like this or like that or do this or do that. You turn to Psalm 139 and you realize that a sovereign God made you and knit you together in the secret place that he has made you fearfully and wonderfully. Today, as we look at Psalm 24, as you journey through life, this is a psalm to remind you, to remind me 
that there is a king of glory and that we were made not only to live for his glory, but to celebrate and enjoy his glory. Maybe today you might be here and you're unhappy or you're anxious or you're disappointed or you're jealous. You need to see the glory of God. His revelation of his glory is a gift to us. So as we look at this psalm, again, the Hebrew word we see from Genesis to Revelation, it's the story of this glorious God. And as we read his story, we read he's a God of glory. Glory, the Hebrew word, is kavod, which means weighty. Uh, it also means beautiful. So it's this idea of his, his worth, his greatness, but it's also his beauty, his goodness. That as I read and you read Psalm 24, we're reminded of this king of glory. And his glory is this outshining, really, of who he is. It's the manifestation of his attributes, his characteristics, his perfections. So as you journey through life, you want to behold this king and his glory. It's a gift to you, and you need, we need to learn to do it. Uh, last month, just before we begin looking at the text, last month, uh, my wife Lisa and I celebrated our 29th anniversary. And can I share what I got for her with you? I wrote 150 songs telling of my greatness and goodness, telling her what I was like and how wonderful I am. And I said, honey, these are for you so that you can sing them back to me and celebrate me. Okay, that didn't happen. But God, because of his glory, it's an intrinsic glory, gives you the gift of beholding it and enjoying it. And so may God speak to you today that you may just get a little more glimpse of his glory. Psalm 24, and I've, what I've done is I've kind of divided up this psalm into three verses to sing as you journey through life. So the first verse is you learn to sing his greatness that he is your creator, that he is your sovereign ruler. Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the water. So David begins to get our focus on the Lord, but notice he gets it onto the earth. Now, the earth is the abode of man. It's our space. Now, why does David, when he's going to talk about the glory of this God, and really this psalm is about this God of glory, king of glory, and the intersection that he has with all humanity, with you, why does he begin rather with, instead of God's space, heaven is the abode of God, why does he begin with man's space? The earth and everything in it and everyone in it, belongs to him because he established it. He founded it. He created it. Why does he do that? Because he wants us to understand that the earth that we live on actually belongs to him. We live on this planet because of his greatness. He created. In fact, in another song that he, uh, David wrote, and I believe you went through this song uh, a number of weeks ago, but in Psalm 19, uh, David says, 
The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his fingers. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. In other words, David says, God, your created universe, your created order, including the earth, everything just won't shut up about you. And we look at the universe and we're learning more and more just how big it is and how detailed it is. We realize this God of glory is a God who is intelligent and wise and powerful. When we look at the diversity and beauty of what he's created, we realize this God is creative and artistic and beautiful. These are his attributes, manifestations of who he is, of his glory. And these attributes or perfections aren't measurable for us. Uh, we're finite, so things are measurable, right? If I was to ask uh, today, who is the most powerful person in this auditorium? Who can, we'll use the measure of bench pressing weight, who can lift the most? Anybody want to just, you could stand up and say, I can do 300, anybody? Come on now, don't be shy. 300 pounds? Okay, if you can do it, enjoy it, because when you get older, it starts to, yeah, okay. Um, but we can measure that with God's attributes. There's no measure. So when we say God is powerful and to enjoy that, it means that you can't say, oh, God is this powerful and after that he can't do anything. No, he, it's infinite. He's infinitely wise, infinitely powerful, infinitely beautiful, infinitely creative. And so David gets her eyes on the earth. It's the Lord's. It's telling about this great God. And David, 3,000 years ago, without a microscope or a telescope, looks around and he sees the greatness of God. And as we look at history, others following David have seen that same greatness and glory. We know today that the Christian faith led to modern science. We know that some of the greatest scientists from the past, Newton, Pascal, Kepler, all believed in a personal God, a creator God. Today, as science continues to advance, we have world-renowned scientists at world-renowned universities, so Harvard, Yale, MIT, Stanford, Oxford, uh, Oxford, Cambridge. We have scientists today who believe in a creator God, that there's a great and glorious God behind all that we can see. And in fact, as science continues to advance, more and more it points, rather than away from this creator, but points to this creator. Science increasingly makes the case for this great God that created not only our earth, but the universe. Now, today, there are some singing some other songs, and they're not singing praise to their creator. Let me just talk to you for a moment about the atheist playlist. Well, 50 or 60 years ago, there was a song playing on this pay playlist that said, God did not create what we see. That the universe we live in is eternal. I was taught that in high school. I was taught that at university. The universe has always been. Well, as science has increased, we now know that our universe 
had a moment in time when it came into being. You can call it the Big Bang, call it whatever you wanted. And that is consistent with God has revealed to us all along. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Moment in time. Today, be reminded that everything emerged from nothing into something. Everything emerged from nothing into something. That at one time, there was nothing. It's hard for us as finite beings to get our mind around the concept of nothingness. No space, no time, no matter, no light, just nothing. And everything came into being. So the atheist playlist, they don't play that song anymore because it's not true. A second song on the playlist is that the universe just happened. Given enough time, things like what we see just happen. But today, as science continues to increase, there's a stronger and stronger argument for fine-tuning. The universe coming into being, the odds of that happening are so big that we can't grasp it. We can't get our minds around it. It's not like one in a million, one in a billion, one in a trillion. No, we're talking about numbers with a one followed by 120 zeros or 150 zeros. Like the odds of that just happening, that universe coming into being, the earth coming into being, the odds of that happening, the fact that we live in a life permitting, uh, on a life permitting planet, the odds of that happening, the sun and its distance and its size from the earth so that we can exist, the odds of that happening. We need water. The odds of us having water and the complexity of water just happening. The moon. We have a moon around our planet, one of many moons. And it's the right size, right distance so that we can live. The odds of that just happening. Jupiter and Saturn. Anybody just, you praise God this morning because you get a prize after the service. God, I praise you for your greatness for Jupiter and Saturn. Jupiter and Saturn, two planets run interference so that comets aren't hitting this earth that's traveling through space at 67,000 miles an hour. Who's behind all of this? And then you've got human life. How did something that's non-living that came into being emerge into something that's living? And on the atheist playlist, there's, there's no answer for that. And in fact, cellular life is far more complex than we ever thought possible. And these numbers about this just happened are so outrageous, ridiculous, preposterous that John Lennox, the former mathematician at Oxford University, he's a philosopher of science, said atheism is incompatible with science. And in fact, when you look at the modern militant atheists like Richard Dawkins, they're really realizing that the fine-tuning argument is becoming more and more focused. And so what, what's been heard now is that well, maybe, yes, there's some design, but maybe it's not divine. It's maybe extraterrestrial or aliens. Which then we ask the question, well, where did they come from? And where's the evidence for that? If you're a young person here, please get beyond the sound bites. And without a dog in the fight, look at the evidence and say, hmm, is there a God or isn't there a God? So David says, this earth that we're in it belongs to this God who made it, who is so great. And it's all his. And just a little side note, to be free from the love of money, love of things, just remind yourself that you are simply a steward. Okay, nobody here owns their house, owns their car, owns their cell phone, owns anything. It's all 
his. It'll free you from the love of money. And also notice here, there's something that we find here that's found in other places in scripture. Not only is he our creator, the one who rules over all things, we call him our sovereign creator. So nothing happens in your life by accident or chance, good and bad, God is sovereign over it all. But it's not only that he is the ruler over all, but he is the rightful ruler over all. If you're like me, you can't figure out sometimes why there's suffering and evil in our world and why things are the way they are. But God in his infinite wisdom is working out his decreed plan. It's his rightful rule. And by the way, when you understand more and more the sovereignty of God in your life, it brings peace, it brings comfort, but it also brings strength and confidence. So I want to ask you today, are you singing the greatness of God? God, thank you for this sunset. God, I praise you for new life. God, I thank you for the fact that I can go for a swim later today in water on a planet that's flying through space. David says, the earth is the Lord's. He is a great God. Second verse, you sing his goodness. And he refers to God as the giver of salvation and the God really of every blessing. Verses three and four. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. Heaven, the abode of God, is sometimes in scripture referred to as a high mountain or a holy mountain. And so here we are on earth, the abode of man, and David asks the question, who here can stand in the presence, the abode of God? Who can do it? And David says, the righteous person can stand in his presence. Notice what he says. The one who has a pure heart. There's no impure motives, impure thoughts, impure actions. Who's not trusting in any idol, anything God has made. He's right with God. And it's the one who is right with fellow man. He's got clean hands. He doesn't swear by a false God. He's not deceitful. All for justice. He always does what is just. David says, the righteous person, the person that's right before God, right with man, that person can stand in his presence. For you, if you want to stand in God's presence, if you're righteous, you can do it. Paul says in Romans 3, there is none righteous, none good. Paul says in Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So is David here teaching that we can somehow try really hard and make it and be right? Not at all. Look what he says in verses 5 and 6. The righteous person, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. David says that this is a God who is good. He is forgiving and gracious and righteous. He makes people that aren't right, right. David, is he thinking about Jesus on the cross? No. David didn't know Jesus, but he knew that God would send a Messiah to do something 
for people that the people couldn't do for himself. So David, in a sense, was looking forward to what God was gonna do in Jesus on the cross. We are looking back to what God has done for us in Jesus on the cross so that sinners, as we just sung this morning, that are unrighteous can be made righteous, not because of their efforts, but because they receive the gift of his righteousness, the gift of his salvation. And not only that, but as James would say, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. That every good thing in your life is from this good God. And it's that person that can stand in God's presence. That's the story when you read your Bible uh, about this God of glory. That you don't just waltz into his presence. That's why we have the story of the tabernacle and the temple and the cross. So that God has made a way for us to come into his presence. We just don't waltz into his presence. Uh, earlier this week, I was up in Muskrat Dam in the far north. Um, I like to refer to it as about two blocks from the North Pole, uh, but uh, met with some indigenous people there, and, and uh, we're thinking of partnering with them there. And I was introduced to about five chiefs and got talking to five chiefs. And one of them was in Ottawa a lot, but here's how he was described as I was introduced to him. Oh, this person met the queen. How would you like to have that tag along? You, I met the queen. I mean, maybe I'm taking it for granted, but none of you were at the queen's uh, platinum jubilee last month. Okay. None of you went over there and just, uh, I'm going to fly to England. Uh, I'm going to go to Buckingham Palace. I'm going to ask him to open the gates. I'm going to go and have tea with the queen. No, you just don't waltz into the presence of the queen. You have to come there by her invitation. And it's not simply that we met God, but it's that we get to do life with God. That I know God. I know this great God, and I know this good God. Parents, can I encourage you? That you would pray that your children would see the glory of God, who he is, how great he is, and what he's done, how good he is. When my kids were growing up, um, other than the prayers, oh, Lord, please keep them safe. Please help them to pass the test and all those different things. I had three common prayers. One was, oh, Lord, I pray for my kids that they would all love you and follow you with their whole being, that they love you with their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, oh, Lord, I pray that my kids would be a blessing to people in life, that they would love their neighbors themselves. But the prayer above that, and the one I still pray today, oh, God, I pray for my three kids that they would see your glory. Because once you get a glimpse of the glory of God, his greatness and goodness, you don't have to drag yourself to church and say, oh, I gotta worship him again. No, worship is a natural byproduct of seeing the glory of God. Parents, pray for your kids. You need to bring them to church, to Sunday school, to be intentional that they learn about this great and good God. Uh, one of the things in the Christian faith is that it doesn't start with becoming. Your kids don't become like God. By, by just, I'm going to do that. No, the Christian faith is beholding. What we behold, we become. And when they behold who God is and what God's like, then they can become like that. Challenge, the problem is in our culture, people are beholding other things. I was just reading this week about how Instagram is, has, has caused a generation of girls to be sad, lonely, and anxious. And in this study, they found that these young girls looking at Instagram 
uh, found uh, they had the fear of missing out. I guess you guys call it FOMO. Where's our young people? FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. They're like, oh, look at her. Look at her. How come, like, look at me. They're having such a good time. And then it also led to jealousy. Oh, I wish I was like her. Like, look at me. And what's happening is as you behold that, you become that. You become jealous. You become, you feel worthless. What if you and you taught your kids to behold this God? They're going to be, it's a whole different becoming. So start praying that prayer and encourage your parents that your children would see the glory of God. So on your playlist, are you praising him for the sunsets and the sun and his greatness? And are you praising him for your, the goodness God, I don't deserve to be in your presence, but you are my savior. You are the God of blessing. I praise you. Friends, if you every day don't have this underlying sense of the cross and what Jesus has done for you, and I'm going to be okay, you're not quite seeing the glory of God. It changes everything. Third verse, David says, you sing his praise, his greatness, you sing his goodness, and then you sing your joyful surrender. Verse seven. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. The king of glory, lift up your heads. And then he talks about gates and ancient doors. What's David talking about? Well, if we go back 3,000 years ago, this is early in King David's reign, 2 Samuel 6. But if you remember, recall Moses, um, when he led the people out of Egypt, God entered into a covenant. I will be your God. You will be my people. And the representation of his presence with them was the Ark of the Covenant, this box which housed the two tablets, the Ten Commandments, and a number of other things. But it represented the presence of God. And so in here, David has this idea of the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence coming into Jerusalem. He renamed this, this city Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, like uh, in that day, in, in any of the ancient um, uh, places, uh, they had walls around their city so the enemy couldn't get in. So David has, he's envisioning the Ark of the Covenant, presence of God coming into Jerusalem so that it could be housed in the tabernacle and later the temple. And there, God would be on his throne. The presence of God would be there. And so that's what David has in mind. He also has in mind... <clears throat> in ancient Israel, they would take the Ark of the Covenant out to battle and then they'd bring it back. And when they came back to the city, to Jerusalem, the priests would, ask the, would say, open the gates, open the doors. And then the guards would say, who is it? And so that's what he has, open the gates, open the ancient doors, lift them up. Now notice, lift them up. In that day, the gates did not lift up. They didn't have the mechanisms of that day. The gates lifted out. So what's David saying? He's, he's saying not simply lift them out and let him in, but lift up. It has the idea of reverence. Lift up your faces so that the king of weight, the king of beauty may come in. It's this idea of reverence for the king of glory. 
Verse 8, who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Now, Psalm 24 is known as a messianic psalm. The overt prophecy is, or the prophecy here isn't uh, really overt like you'd find, like say in Psalm 2 or other psalms, but it's referring to the Messiah, who is the king of glory. It's Jesus. He is the Lord of glory. He's the one strong and mighty, the one mighty in battle. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus here, and you're like, oh, wait a second, we're talking about a king that's got power. Time out. I'm not quite for that. We look around our world today, um, and we see the misuse of power, where people are using their power for their own ends, right? Um, in dictatorships, even in democracies, elected officials, just using the power for themselves. I just finished the book on my holidays, uh, the, Indian, the Indian in the Cabinet by Jody Wilson-Raybould, who was the first indigenous woman to serve as, a minister, uh, as our Minister of Justice and our Attorney General. And in her book, she talks about coming into Ottawa. She saw herself as an outsider coming into Ottawa, so excited to serve, so excited with this, with this government, only to realize that power and partisanship being loyal to your political party, that's what you had to get power and stay in power, that that was much greater than truth and love and justice. In other words, she saw many men and women who were using power for their own ends. Now, not everybody that serves, go out and vote, but not everybody that serves is out for themselves. Some do it with a good heart, but so many places in our world, power is being misused. Oh, this king of glory, he's the one strong and mighty, the one mighty in battle. The Messiah, Jesus, is not like any king on earth. He's the king of heaven. He's the one who left heaven to come. As the song goes in Philippians 2, the one who is in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or something to be used to his own advantage, but he used it for our good. And John, one of the followers of Jesus in John 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, talking about Jesus, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory. And Jesus said, just before he goes to the cross in John 17, he prays for us and for our unity. He says, Father, I want those you've given me to be with me and see my glory. Not only his greatness, but his goodness. The king that we open our hearts to is a king who used his power for our good. And when you realize Jesus died on the cross for you, that you are seen and known and loved, that you don't have to like be like so-and-so on Instagram, that you can just be you, that he loves you, and he did that for you. You not only surrender to him, you joyfully surrender. Oh God, let me see more of your glory. Until the day when, as John says in Revelation 21, when he sees the new heaven, boat of, of God, and the new earth, the boat of man, when they merge together and where Jesus will be with his people. That you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you will see God in the face of Jesus. It's joyful surrender. Verses nine and 10, David says, lift up your hearts, you gates, lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he 
this king of glory. The Lord Almighty, he is the king of glory. On your playlist, is there a surrender? Oh Lord, I'm starting to live for myself or live for things that ultimately don't matter. Give me an eternal perspective. Help me to realize where I'm headed. Help me to realize my future. Do you know how rich you are if you are a follower of Jesus? You're united to the one who is the king of glory, who owns everything on earth, everything in the universe, and he has made this ridiculous promise to us that for the ages to come, he's gonna share his glory with you and with me. Gonna share his greatness and his goodness. And we can speculate as to whether we're gonna have moose tracks ice cream in heaven, whether we're gonna play hockey in heaven, But the reality is, we don't know. He hasn't defined that for us. But we will be with him for all eternity. We will be with the king of glory. Paul knew that king of glory. That's why he said to the church at Corinth, whether you eat or drink, even the most mundane things, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So that when you're even eating and drinking, people could say, wait a second, there's something, wow. Yeah, you're all about his greatness and his goodness. And then with the church at Colossae, he would say to them, since then you have been raised with Christ, past tense. I'm not hoping to get to heaven someday. I'm already seated at the table with Christ, Ephesians 2. But in Colossians 3, he says, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life, when Christ appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Do you know this king of glory? Do you know how rich you are? Can I encourage you today to continue to behold him and sing to him his greatness, his goodness, your surrender. And if you've yet to make that commitment to Jesus, you're checking him out. The invitation is not to make him king. He already is king. The invitation is for you to bow and surrender to his kingship. And then you will find as you seek him, you will find more and more joy and peace and love in your life. As the songwriter sang, turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strongly, strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Would you join with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I lift up to you each person today and I pray, Lord, that you would help them to see more and more of your glory. Parents here at Citizens, Lord, help them to help their children to get glimpses of your glory. And Lord, I wanna thank you and praise you for what you are doing at Citizens and just for the faithful people serving you here, wanting to make a difference for you. Lord, I pray that in the days ahead, they will stay united so that they together can declare your glory to a world that desperately needs it. And we pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus, amen.